0: mm <music> Stanton and welcome once again to the BioProcess Insider Expression Platform, a podcast that allows me to go beyond the headlines and chat to industry in-depth about some of the more interesting elements of biomanufacturing. It's been a while since our last podcast together, and for that I can only apologise. However, as events and travel return, the promise of face-to-face interviews opens up and so I'm hoping to make these more regular by cornering innovators and thought leaders at conferences such as the upcoming BPI Europe event in Vienna and of course BIO in San Diego. But for now I'm delighted to use this platform to relay a recent panel I hosted at the Bio Europe Spring event that goes deep into the changing dynamics between drug sponsors and their third-party manufacturing partners. This was one of the best CDMO-focused discussions I've been lucky enough to facilitate, and so I thought it was worthy to reproduce here for all of those who could not attend. So a very quick mention to the EBD group for allowing me to republish this discussion here. I've had the honour of covering this sector for a, quite a long time now, and I have witnessed firsthand the changing dynamics between drug developers and their third party partners. I've seen the nomenclature change from CMO to CRAMS to CDMO, and just recently I even saw one company call themselves a CRDMO. And while the cynic in me sees these name changes as pure marketing stunts, Perhaps they also reflect some of the changes in the way sponsors are working with their contract manufacturing partners. Relationships that, like the names, continue to evolve. My panellists were Kevin Sharp from Samsung Biologics, Barbara Sambuco from Catalunt, and Christoph Winterhauter from AGC Biologics. And I began by asking how far sponsor CDMO relationships have evolved over the past decade. Christoph, you've got over 25 years of experience in the biomanufacturing space. So maybe you can begin by telling us about the good old days, so to speak, and you know, how and when pharma started to turn and look towards third parties for their manufacturing needs.
1: Yeah, well, ultimately, of course, um, we we saw in the very beginning, I would say, um, uh, quite a reluctant, um, um, I would say, outsourcing uh, trend. And um, over the years, I mean, I would say, I would count 2013, I would say, was a kind of a dip where not a lot of outsourcing was happening. CDMOs had not a really great uh, time in that time. And the, But the last uh, 10 years were then definitely picking up in terms of growth, of course, a lot of uh, large pharma companies and also financed uh, mid-sized uh, biotechs were really heavily investing in into the, the biopharmaceutical uh, area, also um, pushing a little bit aside uh, the small molecules. And then ultimately, uh, also the, the outsourcing trend um, uh, really uh, gained momentum. And especially, of course, all the, the, the small and mid-sized biotechs, um, they are more or less obliged to outsource, right? They're not investing or they're not even supposed to invest the the investor's money into into manufacturing capabilities, but they are um, um, obliged to outsource and and look for partners. But also large pharma learned more and more that outsourcing is a very smart uh, move um, in also mitigating the risk, um, um, also having less investments in in assets and and steel and and vessels uh, rather than in pipeline because there the return is higher. And this is, I think the, the last 10 years we're really driving that. And ultimately last but not least, biosimilars were also coming on, on stream and uh, more and more, and they will continue to come on stream. And this is also what uh, fueled a lot, the, the CDMO industry and the outsourcing trends. So there's quite a few things
0: to pick over there. One thing I am interested in there, Christoph, you said 2013, we really saw a dip in the uh, use of CDMOs or the uh, um, presence of CDMOs within the space. Um, Can you elaborate further on that, if there is any reasons behind that?
1: Well, that's difficult to say, but I think as a first, first of all, of course, the financial crisis in eight and 9 were of course trying to stop funding, uh, especially um, for what I said, the the midsize and the small uh, uh, biotechs. And uh, they had still some money, but then they were running out of money and, and they, the refunding was difficult to find new series uh, in, the, in the years. And then of course, uh, as I said, also the, the large pharma uh, were not outsourcing heavily at that time. There were a lot of companies, I don't want to name here any, but a lot of companies had still a very much a, a do it in house policy uh, and they were opening up uh, then at the last 10 years um, uh, in, the, in a significant way. And we see, we see currently outsourcing trends, even in large pharma of, of 40, 50% uh, of their needs, which is really uh, a, a percentage we're not definitely seeing back in time, like um, 10, 15 years back. Yeah.
0: Interesting. So um, uh, Kevin, Samsung Biologics has, well, it's, it's just passed its 10th birthday. And it has grown into one of the largest CDMOs based on bioreactor capacity, at least um, over this period. Um, How have your dealings with sponsors changed over this time, bearing in mind, uh, well, in perspective with the rapid growth of your company? Right, yeah. And, you know, I think,
2: as Christoph mentioned, we're seeing um, a lot more shifting uh, of funding uh, from our sponsors, uh, more into development and less into uh, expansion or or building new facilities for manufacturing. Um, And then we're seeing that that trend continue as well. Um, so that, again, that return on investment is much higher uh, in terms of development uh, of new products. Um, and then really, I think the trust factor has uh, really expanded within the industry as well. Uh, over the last 10 years, uh, there's been a, a growth of uh, utilization of CDMOs, which has then um, Overall created more trust from uh, pharma companies globally as well, so I think there's that mutual uh, benefit between uh, the partnerships and it as they evolve again that that trust factor evolves and 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 more and more opportunities then uh, develop between the uh the two companies so we've we've really seen that uh, in our young ten years here in the industry. Um, and see that trend continuing as well.
0: Now, like everyone on the panel, your your customers are a mixture of big pharma and smaller biotech and mid-sized firms. Um Kevin, I just want to pick up on something that Christoph mentioned about the um, sort of the advent of the uh, the smaller biotechs, the virtual biotechs coming online coupled with the big pharma's decision to outsource more. It kind of seems to be a bit of a perfect it kind of seems to have been a bit of a perfect storm um seven or eight years ago that really helped um feed the CDO market as it is. is. Is that kind of the experience you've had from your customer base or, or or how that's evolved?
2: Yeah, I think I think a big part of it is if you look at pipelines as well, uh, and they'll follow this same uh, trend that, that you just described, uh, it's that shift from the small molecule to the large molecule or biologics um, type program. So, with that, now you're seeing a lot more investment in the smaller biotechs uh, that, are, that are coming into the market. Uh, there's been more of an influx of, um, of capital uh, into such um, startups as well uh, that we've seen. Um, and it's really that, that shift, again, from, from small to large molecule uh, that has really fueled um, the, the CDMO market, um, you know, these smaller, mid-sized biotechs are, are seeking capabilities that they may not have internally, both on the development and manufacturing side, um, which ultimately uh, builds up the capabilities of the CDMOs. And then on the inverse, when you look at the large pharma's, uh, that's essentially what they're looking for as well: um, partners that that have robust uh, capabilities, um, a quality track record, as well. And, and it's really fueling itself uh, within the industry between the, the small and the mid-sized biotechs and uh, ultimately the, the large farmers as well.
0: I think that's perfect time to bring in Barbara. So so Barbara, you, you joined Catalan when the CDMO acquired the Bristol Myers Squibb sites in Anagni, Italy um, uh, uh, two or three years ago. Uh, so you come from a big farmer background. Um, I'm wondering if you have any insight from the other end of the telescope, so to speak, as to how Big Pharma used to view contract manufacturers and, and how that changed pretty much up until the time you uh, jump ship over to the supplier side. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. Um, I think I think it's uh, interesting to hear the, the 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 other panelists talking from their point of view because actually uh, I, I was on the other side at that time and uh, specifically with Samsung. So I mean uh, uh, we have been uh, dealing with opportunity uh, with Samsung when I used to be in the Bristol Meyer company. So actually I mean uh, the, the the perspective from uh, from a big pharma point of view was. Uh, I mean, wow, what happened? So why why the company decide to move from internal to external? So I joined Bristol years ago when the, the company used to have more than 40 sites spread over all the world. And then I left Bristol two years ago once uh, the site had been acquired by Catalan and we were just five sites. So it was a big change. And uh, what what uh, what Christopher said about, and even, even Kevin actually, about the transformation from small molecule to large molecule in terms of portfolio and the biological uh, coming in, That was something that uh, I mean uh, I was really living on my skin actually because uh, I mean the kind of investment that the company have to go through to upgrade uh, the site uh, uh, like the site. for which I've been working with within the, the the Bristol network, that used to work for a small molecule, those called for big volumes. So the, even the technology was completely different. So uh, it's not just a matter of the equipment per se, but even the dimension So was significantly different. So make a lot of sense. Uh, uh, and so now that I'm on the other side, I can appreciate the reason why. At that time, I felt like okay, so they consider as not a good investment for, for an internal expansion, but uh, there's a lot of reason why um, many companies, many big pharma are, are making this choice. And uh, coming from a big pharma for sure was uh, was interesting for me even on the other side and leveraging on the weakness and strength that I saw uh, since that time in the relation with the CDMOs that I've been working with.
0: I mean, I mean, I mean yeah i mean i have a lot of interesting points there and again you you kind of uh mentioned the small to large molecule shift that um that's possibly driving the relationship change i, I want to talk about modalities in a while i want to stick now for the moment with the sort of changing power dynamics between big pharma and cdmos now now barbara catalan's acquisition of the bms sites as we all know is not an anomaly in the cdmo space um we've seen a bunch of cdmos acquire plants from big pharma um And a couple that come to mind, Lonza buying an Avartis plant in Switzerland, Wuji Bio buying plants from Pfizer and Bayer in the past year, uh, Fujifilm and Biogen, for example. Um, So I'm curious to know uh, whether you think such acquisitions are a sign of this power shift in the drug manufacturing space, um, modality aside, and kind of what this means for the industry as a whole. Um, I, I know you touched on that, Barbara, but any more thoughts there?
3: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that uh, even if it's not so unusual, uh, it's even uh, uh, quite quite scary for, for a CDMO company acquire a big pharma site because, uh, I mean, there's a lot of bias. So CDMO stocks, big pharma are, are, are really slow in uh, making things and uh, changing things, so they are quite scared that... Uh, uh, it could happen that any, any project, any initiative, it, it could take longer because big pharma, I mean, they have opportunity to take time uh, reflecting on things. So why CDO, CDMO cannot. So uh, in, a way, in a way, it's true because the speed uh, uh, within a CDMOs is completely different versus the, the, the concept of speed in a big pharma uh, because big pharma own his own product. So uh, he had the opportunity to setting a timeline uh, in accordance really to their needs. When you are a CDMO, you do not know what happened tomorrow. So you have to be organized in a way, even today. So you have to be organized in a way in which you have been able to face whatever is coming without having a real plan. So the big difference I found was when you talk about budget, in a big pharma budget means really that you have money to handle because you have, I mean, a, a strategy plan defined by the company in a CDMO. I mean, you have a strategic plan, but actually is not really owned by yourself, by the client that you can bring in, so it's a sort of, I mean, forecasted budget, while in the company I've been working with is an assured budget, so the big difference between the two, two ways of working is, I mean, readiness, so in a CDMO, you should be ready every day, no matter what will happen. And uh, anytime you have to phase any projects in a way that you can bring in resources as needed, uh, or slow down if needed, uh, based on what the, the client and the market is asking for. So it's a different style. What, what, what you can have, uh, what you can bring in from a big farmer perspective is for sure the um, the the, um, the optimization of the. The, the processes. So big pharma spend a lot of time and money in lean processes. So that, that's my personal experience. So CDMO is so fast. You do not have some time, time to reflect and improve. Uh, big pharma had. So what we bring into Catalan, what this, this way of working. So optimized processes uh, to be ready to face whatever we have to with a very well-organized system on our back.
0: So it's almost as if the CDMO buying a um, a big pharma plant is learning and leveraging that expertise or that style of of, of working, and then incorporating it into their uh, CDMO business. That, that, that's really interesting, Christoph. I'd like to um, see if you want to pipe in here because um, you know we've seen AGC Bio do similar to the other CDMOs I've mentioned, and uh, you know just on top of my head, um, AGC Bio bought a, a couple of plants from Novartis in Colorado recently. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, what are your views on this and on on the buying power of CDMOs and um, this sort of how this trend of acquiring these sorts of plants uh, uh, has affected the relationship?
1: Yeah, I think, first of all, I can also really uh, more than agree with with, with Barbara. So I think uh, ultimately the driving force here is also that um, CDMOs are more agile, are more um, able to also fully leverage um, the, the potential of a, of a site, right? I mean, we were buying um, the Boulder site in Colorado from AstraZeneca and there was an antibody in there which was obviously not meeting um, all the expectations they had and they consolidated, um, um, have, had several plants manufacturing that antibody and didn't need that excess capacity. And uh, and also the Novartis acquisition in Longmont was a, a single product site, right? So that was the Lexis. um. So my therapy thing and then also large pharma is consolidating sites right and then also trying to to leverage then the full potential of, of their sites by by bundling um, the the production um, of, of several um, products and maybe also several uh, sites into into one side by selling then off the other sites on the contrary, of course, the, the CDMO can leverage a, a site much, much more efficiently, right? This is why I think there's a win win situation for both parties. Um, and, and also, CDMOs can afford, um, I would say, the, the, the price which is asked for those plans, because um, the concept is, of course, to share that plant with a lot of other customers, products, um, modalities, right? And then really fill that plant uh, and optimize that plant to a um, uh, capacity utilization, which is then ultimately, of course, the optimal situation for any manufacturing, right? And this is, I think, the whole uh, business concept of a CDMO to really keep manufacturing plants at 80, 90, 100% um, capacity utilization. And I think this is the hard thing in in pharma, right? In big pharma, in the in-house production, you have, of course, to... to, um, avoid um, stock out right I mean you have by all means you have to go always over the roof and with your capacities if you want to do things in-house because stock out and and uh, not being able to serve the market in in your peak sales time is the most horrible situation so ultimately you build too much and and, and too large uh, because reality is sometimes more challenging and um, reality is behind expectations or behind projections at least the, the best case projections and this is why those capacities are, are not optimally used, and I think they are, can be much more efficiently and, and um, also for the benefit, ultimately, then for not only for the mid-size biotechs, but also ultimately for the large pharma, again, I would say kind of buying back on a fee-for-service basis or even on a dedicated suite basis, a part of the facility is much more efficient than running the whole facility heavily underutilized.
0: And as you said, it's a definitely a win-win there. And, um... I mean, something that also comes to mind is uh, very often the CDMOs uh, will win that big pharma contract straight off the bat. So part of that facility is, as you say, already filled. And then you can really push towards those 80, 90, 100 percent optimization rates. Um, Kevin, I'm going to turn to you because Samson Biologics, and I've been racking my brain here, I'm pretty sure you are unique in the field and have completely bucked the trend and grown fully organically as far as large CDMOs go. Um, you've invested heavily in your own manufacturing infrastructure as till now. Now, it's a bit unfair to try and get you to reveal a scoop as to whether you are about to buy a legacy plant from a big pharma company or not. But um, I wonder if you can comment on the strategy as a whole and how it's affected business from your end.
2: Sure. Yeah, I think, you know, from our our strategy in terms of building our own facilities, um, you know, part of that is in, embedded in in who we are as a company. Uh, we're fortunate enough to to have a an engineering and construction company within the Samsung Group, uh, which allows us to, um, to to leverage those capabilities internally um, and, and basically help build our facilities um, as as required. Uh, so that's that's somewhat unique in terms of you know a CDMO. Uh, having that reach uh within the you know the larger uh, organization um so for for samsung biologics uh it's worked for us at least for the last uh, 10 years um and and we'll continue to to leverage that uh, internal capability uh to to expand and grow as uh, as as we grow in the future um but i think you know beyond that you know there's always uh you know The uh, strategy in terms of fast growth, uh, because even when you can build fast, um, you know, it's still going to take two or three years, depending on the size of the facility and acquiring a facility as as we were just talking about is really a quick entry in terms of capacity into the market and doing it uh, at a lot faster pace. Uh, so there, there is that upside to it in terms of uh, being able to uh, to expand quickly, um, and then also, you know, as we look at it as well, if if you were looking at new modalities, for example, uh, you know, it's it's also another way to to enter that space uh, if it's not a core capability uh, that's currently in house at the CDMO so uh, acquisition of uh, a, a facility that's producing new modalities will bring that new technology in house uh, as well as operators uh, that are trained uh, and capable uh, in that technology as well so you know i think there's there's those opportunities that uh, are always being evaluated and looked at um, I think one of the I think downsides that that uh, you know we we see as well is you know, a lot of the plants, though, especially um, you know the, the the larger pharma's, you know, they're they're built maybe for a single product or a platform of products, and the the flexibility of a CDMO is is critical as we're bringing in multiple clients, multiple pr- products. Uh, so that's that's one thing we always keep in mind as well is you know how do you how do you manage a facility that's maybe uh, built for a certain platform. Knowing that you have to bring in, um, you know, multiple uh, types of programs and, and different platforms into that facility as well, um, but you know, I think uh, overall, um, us as 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 an industry, we've gotten good at that in terms of optimizing the plants. Uh, just as Christoph mentioned, um, you know, it's 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 what we need to do to to bring those uh, those overall utilization rates uh, up towards 100%. Um, So I think those are some of the challenges, but also some of the opportunities uh, there are in terms of uh, acquiring a a facility versus uh, building one's own.
0: I I mean, these are mostly positive points um, that that we've all been talking about, but I'm I'm curious to know whether... um, Buying a legacy facility from a big pharma company can also bring with it a legacy of culture within a monolith, uh, within a, a you know a company that's been around for donkey's years and hasn't really evolved with the time. And if, if if there are any setbacks, um, and um, you know, I don't need any specific examples, but um, uh, Christoph, Barbara, Kevin, if you have any thoughts on uh, inheriting. Big farmers' problems when it comes to um, uh, building up your own network through acquisition? I think that that's
3: So the culture. So you mentioned uh, a topic that uh, I really uh, love. So actually culture is such an important one. So, and uh, I think the success of acquisition is uh, uh, for sure the financial part, uh, but even uh, is is driven by the culture that uh, you would like to establish within your network and the culture of the company that you're going to acquire. So I would say that, Specifically for the success uh, that uh, uh, of the acquisition of the side, that I've been working with. So actually, the the culture, the similarity of culture between Catalan uh, and uh, the Bristol Myers culture, and specifically the side culture, was really uh, something that uh, I mean uh, play a, a, such a critical role. Uh, so you're right. There are some companies, some pharma companies that have uh, such uh, a strong uh, and uh, whole style culture that you're having our time in bringing those into an agile and entrepreneurial environment like the one that the CDMO has. So I think it's important that in the due diligence, this thing is really weighed properly because together with the financial, that is for sure the first number that she should bring on, I think it's a key one.
0: And Christoph, is that something um, you sort of agree with?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I fully couldn't agree more. I mean, we have we have done both, right? I mean, uh, in in Boulder when we bought the plant from AstraZeneca, the plant was already idle, right? It was we 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 bought that more or less with a green greenkeeper or a housekeeper, right? And then we were hiring 150 people with the advantage, of course, that you can really form them the culture and integrate much faster into the HEC biologics culture. Um, whereas with the Novartis plant, we um, were not buying the acids, right? I mean, with Boulder, we bought large uh, stainless steel vessels. Um, and with, with Longmont, we bought um, cell and gene therapy, which is not that much acid driven. It's really more about the know-how driven. And this is why we kept 150 people from Novartis, now having, of course, the challenge to I would say, get them into the HEC biologics family, into the spirit, into the, I would say global quality, um, I would say system, right? And, um, and last but not least, um, all these uh, things, of course, uh, m comes always uh, with the price of adding a site, right? I mean, this is what Barbara said, I mean, Bristol Myers ending up and for example, as a large pharma with 40 sites, right? I mean, I don't know if it's really ideal to end up with 40 sites ultimately um, because if you go as always for m uh, and just buying uh, and acquiring sites and integrate them, you have the integration effort, but you have also then the management effort to, to have a, a special uh, an additional site head an additional site infrastructure and so on. So I think a blended uh, strategy is most likely the best one trying to get the best of both worlds uh, of course, expanding your, your sites, um, uh, Samsung has that has done that, as you mentioned, exclusively. Um, but I think you can also blend that. And we do that. We, we also invest, for example, in our Copenhagen site, currently 160 million to more or less with a new Greenfield site next to it, um, to uh, exactly leverage that, that we can really grow existing sites uh, to the ultimate, but also then um, acquiring uh, other sites due to uh, speed. And, and uh, uh, I would say then having the, not the need of like the the two, three years building time, uh, but then really getting immediate access to capacity and to talent. And that comes with the price of having another additional site and maybe a different culture. You have really to spend a lot of, I would say efforts um, and and patience also to integrate um, the, the teams. Um, unless anyone has an extra point to pull on, uh, to, to,
0: to discuss on this sort of MA uh, CDMO environment, I, I'm going to move on to the sort of changing complexity within the biopharma space and the additional modalities that are sort of entering the arena and how that has affected uh, or that how that affects the, um, r- the the conversations being had with sponsors. Uh, I know we've already mentioned this, um, you know, small molecules, to large molecules, and mentioned cell and gene therapies. Um, but I think it's a, a, a topic that we need to delve into a little bit more. So um, I mean, there's clearly a big difference uh, between being a small molecule api supplier and a monoclonal antibody producer um, from a complexity of manufacturing point of view Um, i'm wondering who to pose this to but how does this translate when it comes to deal-making between um, yourselves as CDMOs and a, say, a big pharma client? Um, you know, Especially in the past 10 years when pipelines have definitely moved away from small molecules towards biologics and beyond. Um, does anyone want to jump in there or should I put someone on the spot?
2: I think I'll take, I can take a stab at it, pick uh, it off here. You know, I, I think what, what I'm seeing, is you know those the, the relationships are more complex, um, just as the products themselves are. Um, so what what we're seeing is a lot more attention, um, a lot more uh, collaboration uh, with the partners, and and this starts from you know the very early evaluation stages, even before a CDMO is selected. Uh, there's a lot more due diligence um there's uh, again a lot lot more in, um uh a lot more attention in terms of really getting to know the the CDMO the subject matter experts understanding the facilities um whereas in the past it it was you know it, it could be done more um more remotely uh without that you know true collaboration and and partnership building and as those relationships grow, again, they, they become more complex. Uh, they become more integrated. Um, and us as CDMOs really then become an extension of our partners' uh, manufacturing networks. Uh, we're, we're that integrated in terms of working with their quality teams, their NSAT teams, their technical teams, um, and, and really having foresight and visibility into, forecasting and planning a lot, lot more than what I saw in the past with, um, you know, more, more traditional or small molecule type products. Um, so, you know, that those relationships are are definitely evolving. Um, again, I, I talked about trust early on and that's why trust is so important. Uh, because again, these, um, these relationships are, uh, are, are much larger, um, the the values are much larger as well uh, in terms of what they represent, um, and some of these products are in, in many cases a, a very large portion, uh, high ratio of uh, of the pharma's companies um, overall revenues as well. So. You know they they're putting that level of attention and importance on on the relationships as well so overall i think it's been great in terms of it's really building you know it's not just a buyer seller relationship at the end of the day uh it is becoming more of a, a partnership relationship where where both parties uh have equal stakes in in, in different ways
0: mm-hmm. I, I mean somebody oh sorry barbara Go sorry, on. No, no.
3: I just want to say that I'm fully in agreement. So I cannot compare uh, the, the 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 evolution in the last ten years because uh, I was, uh, uh, I mean, uh, uh, on the other side. But uh, but make a lot of sense because uh, I think that before the the, the CDO, CDMOs were looking a big pharma were looking for a CDMOs for those products that are i used to call them vintage products so actually products that are mature so you you yes is a relatives but it you are not so close. So now they are looking for a CDMOs for their babies. So they are newborn because uh, they do not have the new technology in-house. They are looking for those technology outside. So from even an emotional point of view. So, (laughs) I mean, they're really much more involved. So, uh, and what what Kevin said uh, is what I witnessed since I joined Catlin. So they are really part of your team. It's an extended team, actually.
1: Mm Also maybe add to add to that then is uh, when you compare small molecules and large molecules, the major difference uh, from my perspective is also that with large molecules, the process is part of the approval, right? So the this is why you have this, this PPQ runs every when you change the site and so on. Um, and and with, with small molecules, with chemicals, it's not the case, right? It's, it's more specification um, approval. So therefore, I think you need as a, as a pharmaceutical entrepreneur, as, as the, the market authorization holder, you need to have the quality oversight, right? This is also required by FDA. If you outsource, you need to know what you're doing. You cannot outsource the responsibility and the risk. Uh, you are still the authorization holder. So therefore, you need also not only to control the, the CFA, so to speak, of the chemicals, you need to know what the process does, right? How robust the process is, if that process remains in the design space in the approved uh, process, which was then submitted uh, after the PPQ runs, right? So that's also a major difference um, to, to small molecules. And I fully agree also with Kevin, you have to get closer. You have to uh, form one team to get very much into the details and to understand every single step of the, of the path. Yeah.
0: So, I mean, this complexity of manufacturing, the, the regulatory point that you, that you made, Christoph, the, the, the high cost um, uh, of the end product, Kevin, uh, um, that, that, that you mentioned that really affects the uh, the, the big farmers' um, top lines. And um, I mean, these are all uh, very different to providing ibuprofen on a mass scale back in the day, for example. But Barbara, there's something you mentioned there about... Um, <laughs> pharma companies really looking at CDMOs as someone to look after their babies, after their newborn. I I love that expression that you use because it really does imply that they have to trust you. They have to put their babies, their very precious multi-billion dollar babies into your hands. And um, it really must have um, involved a change of mindset um, from a CDMO perspective. So I don't know if anyone's got any sort of, insight into how a cdmo can uh, it can can give the big pharma clients their assurance um, other than you know showing them their capabilities what what sort of conversations are had to 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 prove to big pharma that you're up to the job here and again it's a, it's an open question because uh, all three of you work for companies who who work with big pharma and, and do this regularly so it's just how do you purvey that trust and protection to them
3: I i but I think that I mean uh, all of us as uh, our own uh, thoughts and opinions. so actually, um, I think there are different tables then uh, uh, on which you have to discuss those things and gain the trust. So for me the most important one is uh, the, the, the the technical one and the quality one. So they have to trust you from a technical point of view and they should have an assurance that the quality management system is strong enough to support the compliance part. So uh, those are the for me the two pillars on which you have to build uh, and uh, gain the trust uh, of the client that you have in front of you. Presenting a team that is very well organized, the overseas process that can assure that what what happened matter on the site, there's uh, an overseas quality and overseas technical support that anytime can jump in and help uh, the site eventually.
0: And Kevin, Christoph, any thoughts there?
1: Yeah, I mean, like, definitely the 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 trust is is I think as you said with the with the comparison with the babies, I think it's the is the ultimate um, I would say decision factor, right? And that's that's built from my perspective also by by references, by track records, by um, intensive uh, site visits, talking to the subject matter experts, really trying to really get the trust. It's not only about business development, having a nice brochure and promising a lot. It's really about the whole picture. Um, and and yeah and that also leads to the to the fact that if you maybe compare the vintage uh, small molecules right which were mainly generics then maybe outsourced mainly on on price um, uh, biologics NBEs are not outsourced on price right you you look for someone you can trust yeah you would not also hire the cheapest babysitter right for your for your kids you would hire the the, the most experienced uh, babysitter with, with uh, most likely references, right? That, that is a little bit, early, a very good comparison. Yeah.
0: It depends on your kids, but um, I see what <laughs> you're saying. <laughs> um, I, I, I want to ask about cell and gene therapies. Um, you know, we, we've talked about the complexities of, of, of large molecules of monoclonal antibodies, for example, cell and gene therapies is, is, is apparently um, a, a, Another step above that in the complexity of their manufacturing, but also in the fact that um, very often the processes are not fully proven yet. And uh, there's still a lot of um, I don't want to use the word experimentation in the manufacturing side of things, but um, a lot of unknown unknowns to badly quote Donald Ronsfeld. Um, How. How does it? How, how are you finding working with cell, with with big pharma companies on cell and gene therapy products where these unknown unknowns are unknown? Um, because you know it, it's more. It it's it's it feels to me that the strategic partner that partnership that we've seen has to be more intrinsic now because there's got to be constant um, discussions, constant. Um, uh, uh, movements in the sort of technologies being used or the, the processes being tried out between a pharma company and their CDMO partner. Um, uh, Christoph, I, I'd say you're probably best placed here because of AGC's um, uh, presence in the cell and gene therapy space. So, do you want to start us off?
1: Yeah, I think you're, you're fully right. I mean, the system, I would say, the, the newest um, modality, the newest, newest uh, area really where, where CDMOs are now Um, getting into because there is a lot of I would say potential and promise and also of course the proof products already nevertheless um, there is still I would say still not as robust as uh, and proven as a monoclonal antibody being around now for for decades but um, but the the cell and gene area still of course needs to, to find the way all the way through to the payers right we see a lot of discussions having a single shot of a gene therapy then charging 3 million, right? These kind of discussions are new. Um, and th- th- I think there's a lot of um, movement currently um, around, around that. Ultimately, how do I reimburse my all my efforts going all the way to a market approval? On the other hand, I think it's a, it's a very important and, uh, and, and powerful arena. Um, and therefore, I think it's a it's a must be uh, for a CDMO from our perspective. Because for example, if a pharmaceutical company, a top pharmaceutical company defines themselves as, as the oncologist specialist, right? Uh, then then you you can tackle that now with so many different modalities with antibodies with uh, maybe microbial platforms. you can do ADCs, you can do um, uh, but you can also do now CAR T cells, right? And you can also do oncolytic viruses. Uh, you can there's so many different uh, platforms now tackling the same indication and therefore I think it's very important to complement the offering. For CDMO, because we will also see substitutions, right? I mean, uh, there is, for example, the, the orphan drug space with a monogenetic defect. You can cure that with gene therapy. Um, on the other hand, you can maybe be more powerful for solid tumors with CAR T cells. Yeah. So, but you're fully right. I mean, it's still a new field, um, but a very promising and very exciting field. And, uh, but there have to have been some, there have to be some, still some ultimate things to be solved and uh, the, 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 the huge and major success stories I think um, are still to come, especially for, for large indications.
0: Right. Uh, Kevin, uh, Samsung Biologics has invested heavily recently in mRNA capabilities. And I, I, I believe there are some plans on the cards to enter um, the cell and gene therapy space through um, future investments. How important um, is it to a CDMO like yours to, offer multi-modalities, um, as, as Christoph was saying. How how do uh, your clients, do, do your clients want to work with companies that offer that whole range of modalities rather than um, solely monoclonal antibodies, say? Right, yeah, and I think, you know, as, as you kind of kicked off
2: this, this space and, and you're kind of hesitant to use the word, you know, experimental, um, you know, I, I, I think the way I see it is, is it's evolving, right? and um you know, there's a lot of references back 30 some years ago in the in the monoclonal antibody space in terms of how things were and and then how the industry and technology and the science evolved around that uh, over those decades and and what we're seeing is a, a lot similar uh space right now uh where these new modalities and technologies are evolving and um you know having that uh, adaptability uh to be able to support um, different platforms i think is is very important and and that's what we're hearing from our clients and um you know whether it's mrna or cell and gene therapies um or viral vectors and and, and others th- a lot of our clients they don't know which direction they're going in either um, so it's really a, a great environment for cdmos uh, to really start those relationships early uh, start building those uh, platforms and relationships uh, with partners in in these spaces um, and it's it's really not it's really rare to see okay you know one one client's only focusing on one technology at this time uh, it's, it's, again, that unknown in terms of which one's going to take off and, and what, what has the most potential. Um, so, we're seeing that in terms of what, uh, what portfolio can we offer in terms of, um, of modalities, uh, and as you mentioned, we started with mRNA and, and we're looking to expand that further uh, into others. And, and I think that's what's gonna be key in terms of um, you know, trying to support and, and grow with our clients in terms of what direction they're gonna head uh, with these modalities, where their focus is gonna be. And the more offerings that, that we have and, and other CDMOs have, uh, I think really will, will provide um, broader opportunities uh, for building those relationships and, and growing them into the future.
3: I think that's that's a really a, an important one what's Kevin said because uh for the for the thing that we said before so the how you gain the trust so uh that it those are new uh disc- not really discovery area because they're being already, uh, I mean, platform established from from a while, but there is continuous evolving. So even Catalan has uh, already platform in place for MRNA and Seller Inter, but it is investing in extending uh, and, uh, uh, and a, a continuous discovery and new opportunity. So the, the client, uh, I mean, are expecting that uh, you are the ones that uh, own those area more than them because you have the opportunity to be a step uh, uh, in advance, step forward. So they are they are listening to you, and even even for those uh, uh, I mean uh, production that are much more complex and unusual. So because we are moving, uh, when we talk about cell engine therapy, we are talking about almost personalized medicine. So the risk of fail is higher because uh, now we are talking about uh, genetics, sometimes disease, and these are a person. So it's not really, I mean, like an ibuprofen that we mentioned before. So it's a completely different word. So it's important that a CDMO, I mean, move uh, uh, their own steps forward, those uh, uh, new modalities uh, upfront, so they can provide a good service to the client in terms of establish the right knowledge and understanding.
0: So, I mean, for many years we we spoke about the one-stop shop CDMO, um, and never quite understood what that meant. But um, you know, from an end-to-end services side of things, but I think what it sounds like here—and correct me if I'm wrong—it's very much a going to be a one-stop shop um, in terms of modalities offered going forward from the CDMO sector. Um, I don't want to dwell on that because I do, am conscious of the time and I do want to move on to the pandemic. Um, Well, no, I want to move away from the pandemic in life. But for this conversation, it's something we have to bring up. Um, Over the past two years, CDMOs have been lauded for their actions in stepping up and supporting COVID vaccines and therapeutic efforts. Um, And it's, you know, it's also been pretty significant for uh, many CDMOs top and bottom lines as well. But I'm curious to know, how have relationships with your clients changed over this pretty turbulent and uh, uh, unprecedented um, period? I mean, operationally, there must have been some barriers uh, the pandemic brought up, whether in procuring new business, communicating with existing clients or or elsewhere. So I wonder if if we can go round here and uh, if each of you in turn could talk about some of the challenges you've seen over the past two years and um, how you've overcome them. Um, We're going to do it from my screen perspective. So, Kevin, you are in premium position if you want to start us off.
2: Yeah, sure. I think... uh... Uh, I'll just start quickly. I think on on the upside, it it did allow for uh, stronger collaboration and partnerships with uh, with some of our clients, particularly ones that were um, providing treatments uh, or prevention against the pandemic. Um, So I think from that perspective, uh, it really enhanced relationships and partnerships um, by allowing, again, a deeper collaboration. Uh, to, to really solve a, a global problem that uh, I think all of us are, are fortunate enough to be in an industry to, to, to help support. Um, but in terms of the, the, the challenges, I think, you know, it, it created uh, uh, a lot, I think, for, for everyone. And as we're talking about relationships and partnerships within the industry, I think what what we saw was there was such an emphasis on on supplying um, products for treatments and prevention that you know it it could interfere, if you will, with uh, existing clients and and managing those relationships and and schedules uh, around a, a, a again a, a global pandemic that uh, you know everyone was fighting against. Um, so I you know I think we all have the have the supply chain challenges that we can probably talk about, uh, but I think as it as it relates to to partnerships and relationships, it was really trying to find a balance in terms of supporting uh, efforts to to fight the pandemic. Uh, but at the same time there's there's uh, other indications and other treatments that are needed uh, for for patients globally as well um, and and finding ways to uh, to, to be creative with, uh, with scheduling, with production, uh, was really the challenge that, that, that we saw. Um, and uh, you know, at the end of the day, it, it created opportunity, um, and it, it created also um, some, some stronger relationships with, with those other partners as well, as we were able to work together, uh, find solutions together, uh, and and manage uh, you know a difficult challenging situation um really in a in a joint effort
0: uh, and barbara um uh, did you did you see similar things with uh, um how you were working with your clients
3: yeah actually so uh, i mean my site uh, had the pleasure after 3 months of entering into catalan to be chosen as the site of manufacturer of the covid vaccine so uh, I say pleasure because it was really a pleasure. So what what, what was you unique? Was uh, uh, the ability to, I mean, uh, 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 work on a tech transfer that took months instead of years. So for a sterile product, that, that was quite an unusual one, and uh, it was a sort of co-development with the uh, with with the client. So uh, we have been acting like an extended team, despite the, the the virtual call, and because of the different time zone, call happen every every hours in the day, no matter. Uh, but everybody was so engaged, so the energy was so high and uh, was, I think, really a unique opportunity, a unique journey we have been through. And uh, as Kevin said, it's something that established uh, a kind of relation that will last forever. Because, uh, again, there were not you and, and me, there were us, us working against something. And that, in that case was really uh, a pandemic.
0: And, and that's interesting. You say this, this sort of relationship that will last forever. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's... So that, that really has cemented that that sponsor cdmo yeah. um partnership um, yeah. Christoph, it's is it, it you know we're talking challenges over the past two years and we kind of got a um a, a very positive um outcome eventually um from kevin and barbara is that the same at agc
1: yeah absolutely uh, i mean first of all of course the The opportunity was, uh, of course, very much uh, for the CDMO industry. Like Barbara said in the beginning, I think the agility and the flexibility providing capacity, know-how and expertise on on the spot was, of course, um, asked by by the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, We had at the peak time, I I don't know if the number is really fully right, but I saw at the WHO site, 170 plus companies, pharmaceutical companies, trying to bring solutions, right? I mean, we saw, of course, finally some vaccines coming through, but also some drugs, but overall 170 plus companies were um, were seeking for solutions um, on the vaccine or drug side. And uh, AGC was also fortunate to to help with, we are doing the, the plasmid for BioNTech, for example. Uh, we, this is public and also that we also helped uh, with the Novavax This is also public, So, but we had many more opportunities, of course, and not every opportunity was, of course, successful. There was a lot of um, trial and error. There was a lot of uh, also uh, risk taken by pharmaceutical companies um, in those unknown fields, but I think overall, pharmaceutical industry and together with the CDMO industry, uh, I would say, um, earned a lot of reputation by bringing the solutions quite fast to the table, and uh, I think yeah, as as um, as uh, Kevin and Barbara already said, I think those those I would say um, super fast track um, necessities right to bring something to the table, to bring something to clinical phase one and two and three was also a, a rethinking the the whole model um, um, to to get these things because normally. You, when you say okay from phase one to phase three or ppq runs takes you i don't know three four five years that was not possible so therefore everyone tried to really uh, cut back on the on the i would say unnecessary or not 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 100 mandatory things trying to to move things together with the authorities right that but that was the third party uh, involved ultimately and it was a very very joint cooperation. Between those three uh, parties—the uh, the, the um, marketing authorization holder, pharmaceutical entrepreneur, and and the CDMO and the and the authority—so uh, ultimately uh, a challenging time, uh, but also a lot of opportunities and uh, and uh, I would say formed some um, unique um, uh, partnerships. Yeah, I can I can I couldn't agree more. Yeah.
0: From what everyone's saying, it's it's, it's fascinating to see well, what a testament it is to how embedded the CDMO industry is within the, the wider drug development world. And where it might not have been 10 years ago, it, it really was able to step up to the plate and um, and not be just be part of the conversations, but help lead the conversations. We have had a question in um, which uh, is related to the pandemic. Um, um, some, somebody wants to know... What are the current supply chain blockages um, affecting CDMOs, and how are they affecting them as well? And obviously, we've had two years of um, supply chain issues. Um, so, just to elaborate on that, are, 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 are supply chain issues are, are supply chains back to where they should be, or are you guys all still experiencing um, problems with supply? Yeah, I mean, uh, I can say
3: that I experience we are still experiencing so there was a sort of uh, uh, backlog uh, that some suppliers are still leaving uh, those are i think suppliers that each one of us are uh, asking support because uh, when you talk about biological product there are some suppliers those especially that manufacture single-use system and filters those are still in a sort of backlog mode so uh, we are still suffering yeah. and now uh, everything uh, is uh, has been added to that. Is even uh, uh, worsening some scenario, and uh, I mean, I would say that uh, we are still suffering for uh, for uh, for some of those suppliers.
0: Kevin, where, where are you, where are you seeing the bottlenecks now, if if anywhere?
2: Yeah, no, I, I'd agree with Barbara. Um, you know, I think there's there's certain areas, and as, as she kind of picked off a few, you know, filters, anything disposable. Uh, resins, uh, you know, commonly used resins across the various platforms. Um, you know, we're seeing the same thing uh, here at Samsung Biologics, um, you know, and I think what it's created is, uh, you know, just more uh, more visibility in terms of forecasting and planning uh, with our partners. Um, you know, we we all have to just be ahead of the curve a little bit more in terms of, uh, placing those uh purchase orders for for raw materials uh, much 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 more in advance than we than we have in the past so um, it 's actually strengthening those those relationships uh with our partners in terms of uh again having that visibility on forecasting and uh and working together to make sure we you know we mitigate it as best as we can.
0: And Christoph, you seem to be nodding along there, so I'm going to assume you're in agreement with with Kevin and Barbara. But I'm curious to know if um, the supply chain issues are um, a question that that clients ask you about when, um, when 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 either trying to procure you as a CDMO or just in sort of day to day conversations.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's on everyone's monitor now to to see what what is the the supply chain situation. Uh, also at AGC Biologics we formed the task force and supply chain and we, we had uh, daily um, discussions with, with suppliers to try to track and uh, get materials like Kevin said uh, ordering much more in advance is of course a solution to it and we do that now too uh, but then uh, sometimes it happens that even raw materials and consumables especially disposable parts can be on the, on the critical path right so we could maybe be faster uh, as a CDMO, faster in the in the GMP uh, um, vessel, if we could have, I would say, a faster delivery on on some on some raw materials and consumables. So that is a very everyone is alert from the customer all the way to the to the CDMO, and especially the supply chain is is working daily on those on those topics to ensure, I would say, an uninterrupted supply.
0: Well, um, we are pretty much approaching the hour. So I'm going to ask each of you um, one final thought on this subject and it's always, you know, looking into the future, looking over the next five years, where do you see this sponsor CDMO partnership? um, Where where do you see it going in the next five years? I mean, we've been pretty um, constant in where it is now, I think over this hour. So in five years time, Kevin, how are CDMOs going to be working with sponsors? Right.
2: Yeah. I, you know, I think, it, again, it's it's going to continue to evolve uh, these relationships um, with, uh, you know, existing platforms as well as the new modalities. Um, yeah, I think we are going to see a, a bit more of the end to end services that you mentioned uh, earlier as well. Um, you know, as you, as you said, you know, we started as CMOs and then CDMOs and CR DMOs. And, you know, we're, we're cramming more into that because, um, you know, there's there's value in in finding the right partner and uh, and leveraging those relationships um, across the network. So, um, yeah, I see that, uh, again, constantly evolving. And uh, again, with the new modalities coming into play, uh, I really think that's going to uh, complement the the growth of the uh, of the relationships with CDMOs in the market.
0: Barbara, final thoughts?
3: No, I think, I think it's uh, very well said by Kevin. So it, it will be a continuous evolution and now not expecting a step back. So we mentioned the, the discovery part, the, the knowledge CDMOs are acquiring on new technology and how the big pharma are leveraging on that. So for me, we are just, I would say we are just at the beginning.
0: And I leave the last word to Christoph here.
1: Yeah, I also couldn't agree more. I think uh, the, the the partnerships will be, I think, more strategic. We we expect that a global footprint matching all needs with a multitude of modalities is the is the right setup long term. And we expect that uh, especially large pharma will not bid out every single molecule from scratch. Right, they will look for strategic partnerships and um, and then go with with those showing performance and and um, showing all up with deliverables. Um, in a, in a I would say, reliable fashion over the, over the past years. And I think if, if you have established those relationships, especially during the, the pandemic, I think uh, those strategic partnerships will uh, intensify and, and grow over the next five years.
0: Yeah. Well, well, I think that's a wonderful place to leave it. Three rival CDMOs in complete agreement. That's always nice to hear. So <laughs> I would like to thank everyone for listening, but I would mostly like to thank my panelists, Kevin Sharp, Christoph Finterhalter and Barbara Sambuco for joining me. Uh, I've been Dan Stanton. Thank you.